I'd like to welcome you. Thanks for being here this morning. And uh, this is the part one of uh, four parts. Uh, Miracles still happen. So today we'll be looking at believing is seeing. So believing is seeing. So we'll be looking at John chapter 9 in the Bibles. And you probably will need your Bibles open. I have some of the scriptures on the paper here, but really it'd be helpful to have the Bibles open. We're also recording the teaching so, um, it, and for each week, so it'll be up on the website, uh, our website, that is. So. Okay, so let's begin with some prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for as you come to us as the light of the world through your Son the light that scatters darkness, the light that enables us to see in new ways with a changed heart, a changed mind. So, Father, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit may enlighten us with the Word of God, may break open the Word to each of our hearts so we'll be able to see your Son in a new way and see the will he has to work miracles in our life, no matter what the situations are. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Okay, John chapter 9, and I'm not going to read the whole thing at once. We'll kind of break it down in pieces and then just kind of talk about it um, because it is long. It's a long chapter. Uh, And basically, it's a story about the man who's born blind and how Jesus um, heals him. But typically in John's gospel, miracles are not simple. They're very, they got so many different layers to it and they point to so many different things in it and call us to so many many different levels of conversion and growth in relationship to the Lord. And this man, the man born blind, is a great example of what the Lord does in each of our lives um, and how it's never simply a cut and dry thing, but he takes us through stages and processes to help us become, to receive his word. So it's like John chapter 9, and um, what we're looking at here, again, is uh, the church uses um, these readings, John, actually chapter 4, the woman at the well, John chapter 9, man born blind, John chapter 11, Lazarus raised from the dead on cycle A, um, for the catechumens, they speak to them about conversion to Christ, when they're coming into the church, coming to Christ, coming for baptism, the catechumens reflect on these particular three readings because it all speaks of conversion and deepening of our relationship with the Lord. Okay, so John chapter 9, um, it says here, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so let me just stop right there for a moment. Um, and... Um, to me, one of the fascinating things is that here it says that as he passed by, how many times does Jesus pass by in our life? You know, how many times is he walking by in a sense? Now, that phrase "pass by, walking by" indicates his visitation to us, his entering into the midst of our life circumstances. This guy was born blind; he was most likely a beggar. That's probably how he made his living. So here is Jesus passing by, entering into his life, visiting him, if you would. And he's about to do something in our life. Uh, I think the Lord's visiting us more than perhaps we realize. And hopefully, one of the goals of any kind of spiritual renewal is that we become more 
aware of, more conscious of, more tuned to the Lord visiting us in the circumstances and challenges of our life. Because this guy was visited by the Lord and his life totally changed on many different levels, as we will see here in a moment. So if you look at your outline for a moment, um, look at that very first top here, believe in the scene. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. And then under number one, and we'll explain this in just a moment, uh, obey Jesus in the ordinary things of life. We're going to see that obedience set this man up for a miracle. <clears throat> that obedience was the key that unlocked the miracle work and the visitation of the Lord's presence into his life. Now, just before we go further here, um, in John's gospel as a whole, and we'll see it most clearly in, in this chapter here, light and darkness are big themes for John. Um, blindness is not just physical blindness, but it's also blindness of the heart. Blindness of not seeing Jesus for who he really is. Um, because if you saw him for who he is, as we'll see in this guy's life, then it leads you to worship him, become his disciple, and follow him, and have your whole life centered around him. Um, so blindness is darkness. Darkness means moral confusion. It means not knowing what you're doing on the face of the globe. Why you're even here on this earth. You may be the most successful person in the world. You still don't know why you're here on the, on the, on the face of the earth. That's, that's darkness. Okay? And so light, then, is just the opposite. Light is knowing the true meaning of your life found in the person of Jesus Christ. And you see all this unfold in this chapter. But I just wanted to set that up for you. Because John, that's a constant theme in John throughout the entire gospel. Okay, so um, if you look here, next verse, verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. So this blindness is for, is because the Lord will use this man's blindness to do a work of God that will bring not only glory to the Lord, but also uh, change this man's whole life and influence a whole bunch of other people. And then it says here, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night comes when no one can work. What is the works that he's talking about here? The works are the works of his signs and wonders, his healing people, setting people free from evil in their life. Now, in John's gospel, those works on one level change people's circumstances. But on another level, they're meant to change the heart. And help us help a person see Jesus. So he could walk up to a person who was blind. He could heal that person. And he would see, obviously. So that was physical healing. But then in John's gospel, it's like, okay, now that you've seen with your eyes, open the eyes of your heart so you can see who it is, the one who just graciously visited you with his grace and changed you. So then give your life to him. Serve him. Worship him. Form your whole life around him. That's the meaning of John's miracles when they occur. Okay. So we're saying that he actually did open the eyes of a blind person, but it goes another level. Okay. Okay. Then um, verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We'll come back to this in just a minute. And he said to this man, or as he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Okay, so let's stop there. Obedience, I've said at the beginning here, opened this man for the miracles of Jesus. Miracles begin in the ordinary. 
contrary to what we may think, or sometimes contrary to what's been portrayed on TV, you know, miracles begin with the ordinary things of life. Notice what this guy did. Jesus took clay, spittle, we'll talk about that in a minute, put it on this guy's eyes, and this is not a method for healing, by the way, we teach people. (laughs) And what he does is the ordinariness opens this man's eyes only as he goes and washes. The guy didn't obey, and it's from the, from we understand from the text, he just wouldn't have seen on many different levels of his life. So obedience brings blessing. You want to take away anything from today's teaching? That's one of the things I've learned over the years. Obedience brings blessing. Miracles begin with the ordinary. Then, for this guy, it would be a change of sight, a change of perspective for his life, as well as receive the physical sight. Now he could have seen physically and never have a change of heart. And that happened, if you remember, with the ten lepers. Jesus healed all ten. Only one came back and gave him thanks. The assumption is the other nine never became his disciples, never followed him. So miracles aren't guaranteed to believing. Um, they're meant to be, first, the compassion of the Lord for his people, but they're also meant to point us in the, in the direction of Jesus with faith. <clears throat> okay. So let's take a look at um, verse 5 here. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, those I am statements are statements in which it's like God saying, I can. <laughs> I can do this. Okay? I can do this. I am able. I am able. Sometimes J.B. Phillips said that, uh, he's a Bible translator, said once in a book he wrote, your God is too small. Okay? Sometimes our, gods are, our God is too small. Like, God is able to do things in your life and my life and in this faith community that we wouldn't even imagine, you know? St. Paul wrote, writing to the uh, Christians in Ephesians, chapter uh, 3, I believe, God is able to do more than we can ever ask or imagine, he said. So, our God is a pretty big God, awesome God. You know, he created the heavens and the earth, right? He created with a word. He raised Jesus from the dead. They're pretty big miracles, <laughs> you know? Um, you try it sometime. <laughs> See, and so God is able. God is powerful. God is, God can. God can. So those I am statements, and we see them. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Okay, so what is meant by the light of the world? Let's keep your finger in John chapter 9. Turn to John chapter 8. Look at verse 12. Jesus, again, verse 12, again, uh, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So remember that the theme of darkness and light. So light is a common theme in the scriptures. Uh, You can jot this down if you want. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Yahweh is called uh, light. He's enthroned on the pillar of fire. And what that fire did was it enlightened Israel. Um, it brought them through the wilderness into the promised land. The fire was the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's the fire of Sinai, actually. So um, Exodus 13, verse 21. And then in Psalm 119, verse 25, the law of the Lord is called the light for our path. So God's word is a light for our path. And again, that's a common theme. The word of God becomes 
light. It shows us direction, keeps us out of trouble, prevents us from entering into darkness. Uh, if we obey the light, if we learn the light, also we have to first know the light. <laughs> in other words, we have to grow in understanding, grow in knowledge of what the light is, and then obey that. Isaiah 42, verse 6. Israel is called light to the nations. Light to the nations. Now, the church is called to be the light to the nations now. Light means we help people who are in darkness come into the light. We help people to see Jesus, who is the light that can save them from from the darkness. And darkness means moral confusion. It means uh, a complete breakdown of their life, um, and so on. Okay, so... Light is a common theme in the scriptures, and um, and clearly in John's gospel, there's a choice we make, as we'll see. It's not like, oh, I just happened to be in the darkness. No, <laughs> it's like I chose for the darkness. Okay, I choose for the light. That's what Jesus is doing when he comes into this man's life today. He's bringing him light, and he then he's later on he's going to be asked to make a choice for that light. Okay, so John chapter nine, go back there. John chapter nine. Okay, and let's look at verse 6 for a few minutes here. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made a clay of spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay. Now, uh, he took the ordinariness of nature, the clay, the spittle. This anticipates the sacraments, the seven sacraments. The seven sacraments consist of ordinary material, right? Bread and wine, oil, water, you know? Um, So you need ordinary things to... God works through ordinary things, his miracles. Remember, it's not the sensationalism of Hollywood, right? It's, it's he takes ordinary stuff and he creates, he does miracles through it. Let's take a look at some other examples. If you look on your outline, it has some other examples. Right in the middle with those bullet points, it says faith starts with something practical. So what's the practical step you need to take? For the guy who was blind, he, his, his next practical step to take was go wash. He said, obey Jesus. Then it says, uh, God helps those who trust him. You've heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. It's not a scripture passage. <laughs> okay. In fact, it's a myth. It's a myth. God helps those who trust him. Okay. Because faith opens the door to his heart. God works by faith, not by our self-reliance and willpower. It's contrary to our culture, probably contrary to how we were taught and brought up. You know, um, but... God works by faith. He works by those who put their trust in him. That means I don't put my trust in me. I put my trust in him. Okay. Next, he had ordinary clay. Remember Moses in the Red Sea? How did he split the Red Sea? He, Moses was obedient to God's word. What did God say? Take your stick. Okay. Ordinary stick. Okay, just ordinary. <laughs> you could have picked, picked it out of the woods someplace. And he used that to split the Red Sea. Because God used the ordinary material... And then he brought a miracle out of it as, a, as Moses was obedient. And then what did Jesus do to multiply the loaves and the fishes to the 5,000 people and so on? Actually, it's more than that. It's close to uh, 20,000 probably. He used a few loaves and fishes to multiply for thousands of people. He just took the ordinary stuff. <coughs> but here's the catch of that story, you know, is that the boy had to give up his lunch. Okay. If he didn't give up his lunch, Jesus wouldn't have anything to work with. And then the disciples had to take the baskets. Remember, they didn't see the 20,000 loaves and fishes in the baskets. They just saw a basket with fish and loaves in it, and they had to obey Jesus. 
And they had to go. Remember, it wasn't Jesus that brought the fish and the loaves to the, to the people. It was the disciples who did. So they took the basket. They took the loaves. They had to go row by row and reach in and give it to the next person. Can you imagine what Peter must have thought? You know, after he reached in and got through the half of the first row, I don't think I'm going to have enough for the next row. <laughs> what about the other, you know, 19,000 that are behind? Well, their obedience is what unleashed the miracle. As they were obedient and kept on reaching into the basket, kept on going to the next row, there was enough fish, there was enough loaves for the, for the people. Until they got to the end, it was they had more than enough left over. Okay. So, what I'm saying to you is God uses the ordinariness things of life. Okay. He starts with the basic things and wants our obedience. And this anticipates the sacraments. Okay. All right, taking a look, going back to verse 6 again. Notice he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent one. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now, um, the washing in the pool of Siloam indicates, uh, or anticipates rather, baptism, the sacrament of baptism. Now, what's happening in baptism? Most of us are baptized as infants, but... What's great if you ever worked with people who are coming to the church who are not baptized. Um, you know, normally what baptism means for them is they hear God's word and they begin to convert to the Lord. They begin to grow in friendship with him and turn away from the darkness and the sin in their life. And then when it comes for baptism, they're washed, they're anointed, and then they're, they have in an interior enlightenment to Jesus. In other words, they come out of the waters of baptism changed. They have actually a different perspective, a whole different way of seeing. They're internally changed from within. A new presence and power of the Lord dwells in them. Waters of baptism are bring about a real change in us. That's what's meant by a sacrament. Um, you know, I've used this example before. If you were to touch a live wire, there'd be a real change in you physically, right? <laughs> well, the waters of baptism bring about a real change in us spiritually. They give us a new heart, new spirit. That's most clear in people who are coming to the church who have never been baptized before. Now, what about the rest of us who are babies, <laughs> baptized as babies? What happens? Well, we're meant to grow into that relationship to the Lord. So what was given to us in baptism, it becomes a reality for us. That is, we have a whole new way of living. Um, that's why conversion is so important for us, that we keep growing in conversion. Also, what the, wa- the pool of the water indicates, too, is Jesus is the water of life. Another common theme in Matthew. I'm sorry, in John. Water is the... It, Jesus, you know, water naturally refreshes, gives life, Right? Um, that's what Jesus does. He refreshes, he gives life. Jesus said in John chapter 7 that um, waters of living water will flow from within us. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit also is called the water of life. Okay, so why is all this important? I mean, light, water, you know, um, because they're all words that are speak of the experience of the Lord. Here's the part I want to indicate here. That faith is experiential. It's just not in the head. It's something we experience in our life. So, and I think sometimes we have taught our faith in a way that we get the impression it's just in the head. It's just what I learn. It's information I get, which is very important. Teresa of Avila said, you start with knowledge, leads to desire, that leads to prayer. So you have to have understanding first. But that's meant to lead to experience. 
Um, that experience can occur in a lot of ways. A lot of ways that I facilitated in my ministry had been just simply praying with people. You know, just pray with them. So you learn a whole bunch of knowledge, information. Okay, do you have a hunger and thirst to want to experience what you're learning? You know, and then we pray with people for that. And the Lord works in their life. And he enlightens them. He brings them deeper awareness and consciousness of his presence. He actually brings changes in them. It's because faith is experiential. This guy was blind, and then he saw. He experienced something, right? You know, the woman at the well encountered Jesus. You know, and Jesus kind of read her mail, so to speak. You know, because <laughs> looking into her heart and seeing what her life was all about. You know, and not condemning her, but bringing her mercy and say, "Hey, look, I can be the one that will satisfy you." And she encountered him in a way that brought her change to her life. And what did she do? She went out and told everybody else about it. Something had to be different. About, about her, that she was willing to go out and say, he told me about my life, and let me tell you about the Messiah that I found. You know? Okay. So, faith is experiential. Alright. So, let's look at number two on your outline here. See Jesus in the circumstances. In the circumstances of your life, see Jesus. Okay. Look for him. When you have financial issues, there's marital difficulties or struggles, there's problems with our children, you know, look, look for Jesus in the circumstances of your life. John chapter 9, verse 39, I have on the sheet here, Jesus said, I came into this world so the world could be judged. I came to the world so that the blind would see, and so those who see will become blind. Now, what's he talking about here? Um... There, the, we'll see in a moment, the Pharisees who would interrogate the man who was born blind, who now saw, were actually, could not see the miracle Jesus was working. And we'll, we'll take a look at that in just a minute. Things that prevent us from seeing Jesus in our circumstances. Even the man's parents, whom you would think would be like, wow, this is great. They weren't too thrilled about this whole thing as they were being interrogated by the Pharisees. They couldn't see either. Okay. The only guy who saw was the man born blind. And then he would go to a deeper level of seeing, as we'll see in a few moments. Okay, so what are some of the things that keep us from seeing Jesus in the circumstances? All right, to look at that, let's go back to the scripture and let's look at verse 13. says here, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, Jesus, no Jew is supposed to work on the Sabbath. Now, what Jesus did that went against the Sabbath was he spit. But if he would have spit not on the ground but on a rock, he'd be okay. Because he spit on the ground, it became a, a way by which he could work with that. Spit on a rock, it's not a whole lot you can do with that. And the fact then that he took the spittle and put it on his eyes is seen as working. Now, the Jewish, the, the customs that grew up with that, they said that if you, like, break your arm on the Sabbath, you can do something to prevent it from hurting more. Like, you can keep it still or something, but you can't fix it. You have to wait to the next day before you fix it. Okay, so that's, that's what they meant. But now, what the Pharisees fail to recognize is that the Sabbath, um, you know, Jesus comes to fulfill the Sabbath. And by healing the man on the Sabbath, he was fulfilling what the Sabbath was really all about, which was the restoration of human lives. That's what the guy was. That's what this guy experienced today—a restoration of his life by by being able to see. 
and of course, as we'll see in a moment, go to a deeper level of faith. Okay, so that's what the problem was there. Okay, so the Pharisees asked, again, asked him how to receive, how he received the sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. So everybody's working here. You're <laughs> not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner who does do such things? There was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Okay. Um, what's going on here is that the Sanhedrin is interrogating this man because they could not see the miracle Jesus was working or the visitation of the Lord into this man's life. Uh, they were blind from seeing that. So what are some of the things that keep us from seeing? Let's look at your outline here, letter A. One is popular opinion. If you think back to verse uh, 2 here, they asked the question about why is this man blind, you know, and um, uh, basically, you know, the common thinking of the day was this man was blind because he sinned or some one of his parents sinned. And that's what, that's what would create his blindness. That was a popular opinion of the day. Jesus didn't buy into the popular opinion. And he was calling this man to a place that didn't buy into it either. But buying into popular opinions keeps us from seeing Jesus in our circumstances. Um, for example, people might say, well, God can't work a miracle in your marriage. God can't work a miracle in your finances. You know, he can't do that. You know, he doesn't, you know, you have to, a lot of times people say, you have to work that out for yourself. As if you have to be the one to you know, fix it. And... That kind of popular opinion keeps us from seeing Jesus at work in the circumstances of our life. Okay, what's the second thing? Letter B on your out, uh, next page is doubt. Doubt. The Pharisees and the, the Pharisees here created doubt. In fact, they even were exuding doubt about Jesus here. They were basically saying, "This man's a sinner. He worked on the Sabbath." You know, he can't do these miracles. And then it says here they were divided over him. So in other words, there were some who thought he truly was authentic with the miracle and others who didn't. So doubt prevents us from seeing Jesus in the circumstances of our life. Let's look at this scripture here in the passage. It says, Then the people took to the Pharisees the man who had been blind the day Jesus had made mud and healed his eyes was a Sabbath day. So now the Pharisees asked the man, How did you get your sight? And then, of course, he answered by saying, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. So, is forgiveness possible for our sins? Is freedom possible for areas of our life that were trapped or ensnared by, by uh, addictions, maybe? You know, doubt will prevent us from seeing Jesus passing by or visiting our life. So it's important that we deal with doubt. One of the ways you deal with it is by immersing ourselves in the scriptures. And listening to the testimonies of people who've experienced the Lord working in their life, that builds up faith in our hearts. One of the things I hope to do as we move forward here at St. Patrick's is that people who are experiencing God working in their life and changing them, we get them up at Mass and, we, and they share a few minutes after communion. You know, um, why? Because hearing the stories of God working in our midst builds up our faith. It drives out doubt in our midst. Let us see. Tradition, and I mean that with a small t, okay? Tradition. Jesus broke the rules of the Sabbath. 
That was a, he just broke a tradition. So what does it say here? So some of the Pharisees are saying, this man does not keep the Sabbath day, so he is not from God. But others said, a sinner, a man who's a sinner cannot, can't do miracles like these, so they will not agree with each other. So, sometimes there's traditions that keep us from seeing the Lord working in our midst, particularly in new ways. Um, so we have to look at that and evaluate that in light of God's word. And letter D on your outline here, fear. Fear Fear can blind us to seeing Jesus work. Let's go to verse 25. It says, Then he answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner. This is the blind man answering the Pharisees. I do not whether know he's a sinner and wicked or not. But one thing I do know, that whereas I was blind before, now I see. Okay, so what's at work here with the Pharisees? You know, popular opinion, because they didn't want to see their theology go by the wayside here. You know, doubt they were creating about Jesus. They didn't want to see their tradition regarding the Sabbath broke. You know, that really upset them a lot. They also didn't, they also were creating fear in this man's heart. So, what's really at work here? And this is typical in John's Gospel. It's the Pharisees were plugging into what's called the world of refusal and rejection. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. Going back to the garden, there were our first parents before they sinned, living in a relationship of trust with the Father, right? Trusting the Father's heart for everything in their life. And what's this? But there was something at work in the garden. I often say the garden was not as peaceful as we think. Okay? <laughs> there was something at work, and there was the serpent. And the serpent was Satan, who had, you know, time before, rejected God's rule and reign in his life. He was, live, he was the arbitrator and perpetrator of the world of refusal and rejection. Refusal of the Lord's reign in our hearts and rejection of the Father's provision for us. Lucifer, who was the most brilliant of all creation, rebelled through refusal and rejection. So what's he doing in the garden? He wants to, he wants to continue to perpetrate, actually, and he wants to continue that whole sense of refusal and rejection, only this time in the hearts of Adam and Eve. And he was successful at it. What's happening here? It's the Pharisees. They're buying into the world of refusal and rejection of Jesus. In John's Gospel, the greatest sin is not believing in Jesus as the Father's Son, who's the light of the world. And the Pharisees were refusing Jesus as the light of the world and rejecting him. Although this man was blind, now he sees. So popular opinion, doubt, tradition, fear, then prevent us from seeing Jesus working our circumstances, but buy into the world of refusal and rejection. And that's the demonic world. That's the, that's the world of the demonic of refusing God's reign and rule in our hearts. It's the world of rejection, of his rightful authority over our lives. Okay, so number three in your outline. Why does God do a miracle? So we can trust Jesus with our lives. Let's go back to the scripture. I want to trace this for you, this man the man born blind, how 
there's a progression going on in his life. Let's take a look at verse 11. The man says, um, when questioned, he says, he answered, The man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So, first of all, the, the, the man born blind sees Jesus as a man. So he begins with that. Let's go down to verse 17. He says, um, So they again said to the blind man, What do you say to, about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. So he moves from being a man, now he's a prophet. Okay, can you see the progression this man is making in his relationship to the Lord? Okay, so starts with, he's a man, just a man. Okay, now he's a prophet who's speaking the word of God to him. All right, so let's move on down further. Uh, let's see if I get my notes. Let's go to verse, um, I'm going to turn over verse 35. Thirty-five. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and found him, saying, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" Now, Son of Man is is um, as a term that's really divine in nature. It's referring to Jesus, who's the fully human and fully divine, the one who fulfills all the promises God made to humanity. And he says, he answered, "And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him?" Jesus said to him, "You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you." He said, "Lord, I believe." And he worshipped him. Okay, so the man went, man born blind, saw Jesus as a man. Then he moved to see him as a prophet. And then he saw him now as the son of man, someone to be worshipped, which meant he was the son of God. That progression of faith, then, is a progression that the Lord brings each of us to as well. Even though we've been baptized, maybe grew up in the Catholic Church and so on, he brings us into deeper awareness and experience of Jesus as the son of God. As, meaning that he, that all the promises God made to us through him are fulfilled. That he's the one who's destroyed sin and death by his own death and resurrection. That he reigns the right hand of the Father. And that Satan has been judged and doesn't have power in our life any longer if we don't allow it. So that kind of understanding and experience is meant to be part of our living as a Christian. Okay. So this man then went from Jesus as a man to now worshiping him and becoming his disciple, his follower. All right. So why does God work a miracle? So that we'll trust Jesus with our life. Okay, so let's wrap it up for a minute here, and then we'll open up for some, some discussion. And that is... This, uh, if we look at the circumstances in our life, they can be whatever they look like for you. They could be physical, they could be financial, they could be relational, they could be marital, whatever. You know, the Lord is passing by, right? He wants to visit your life and he wants to work a miracle in your life. First thing to find out is, Lord, what do you want me to do? In other words, obedience is the first step. So for the Pharisees, it would have been just as simple to simply say, opening their heart to Jesus, and they would have had a miracle as well. Only for them, it would have been a miracle of new vision and sight as to Jesus as fulfilling humanity. 
second thing is Jesus works in the ordinary circumstances of our life. I, I often like praying with people just very simply. Simple prayer can work a miracle, right? Because it's the Lord's power and grace working through. Coming to the Eucharist with faith and expectancy, the Lord's going to work in your life. Simple stuff. Nothing dramatic, nothing glamorous, nothing sensational, you know. But think, you know, Lord, as I touch you today and receive you, work in my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. Just work on the circumstances. Simple stuff. Any of us can do it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist, right? It's very simple. You know? um, opening the scriptures and just letting the Lord speak to us. You know, Lord, speak to me this day through the scriptures regarding the circumstances of my life. Something as simple as that. And he will speak. He will guide you. He'll, do, he'll give you something that you need to help you in the circumstances of your life. What I'm saying is simple stuff, ordinary stuff, but if we're faithful and obedient to it, we'll see the miracles of the Lord working. Miracles aren't glamorous. They're simple. And they come through ordinary means. They come through people opening their hearts in faith to the Lord in those simple ways. Let's pray for a minute and we'll open it up. So Lord, we thank you for passing by this morning to us through your word. And as you touched the man who was born blind and gave him sight that led him to be your disciple and to worship you as the Son of God, we pray this morning that through the Holy Spirit, Lord, you may show us that in the simple things, in the ordinary things, that you work, Lord. You call us to open our hearts in faith to you. So Lord, for the difficulties we may be facing, for the challenges we may be undergoing at this moment, Lord, help us, Lord, to be free of popular opinion or fears or traditions that may impede or get in the way of you working in our life. But touch our sight this day so we can see you working in these circumstances, so we can see in the ordinary things you beginning to work a miracle in our hearts, in our lives, in our circumstances. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, any thoughts, questions, reflections? I know there was a lot today, so it may be helpful to go back and reflect on some of this. Yes, thanks. For some reason, I find your...